Well, good morning. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Yes, Tim and I are good friends. Um, we love this church, Joyce and I. Our daughter, who has come here just once, uh, she wishes it was closer. We all live on Camino Island. Um, in fact, we slipped in on Christmas Eve, back where, right where Karen is. She let us share the back row back there. Uh, good Christmas service here in the morning. Um, we just we had a full day, but we slipped in, slipped out. Uh, uh, it was well worth the 45-minute drive coming over here. Well, as you know, uh, Tim is uh, talking through a series on a biblical worldview. Who is God? Who are we? Who are we in relationship with God? And Tim and I had a lunch uh, oh, a month or two ago together. We get together from time to time. He's willing to come over to Stanwood, which is probably two-thirds his way, one-third my way. And uh, we get together, and he shared this, and that he uh, was interested if I would be willing to preach. I always am to come over to Machias. And uh, so we were talking about this Christian worldview, and... I suggested, you know, I think creation, preaching on creation, is really vital to a Christian worldview. Is it okay, Tim, if I bring a message from Genesis 1? He gave me the thumbs up. So if I mess up here, it's all Pastor Tim's fault. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say here. So uh, let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing on the word. Father God, uh, we just thank you for your word. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We've sung scripture this morning. And uh, Lord, we have sung concepts of truth. Lord, as we look at the beginning, our beginning, Lord, help us to focus, to really get an understanding of how important it is to have a biblical view of creation, how that impacts us today. So, Lord, use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We are living in a time of, and many of you know this, academically, revisionist history. You know what that is? I think most of us do. Revisionist is, revisionism is going to our past and... Uh, redefining, even changing the way it was. Do you know there's a, quite a number of people in our world that, how many years later? Well, it was in the 30s and into the 40s, you had the Holocaust. Do you know there's people that have revised history to say the Holocaust, it never happened? Never happened. That's revisionist history. If you read in many of our textbooks, they'll talk about the pilgrims having Thanksgiving, and some of them say they gave thanks to each other for working all together. You know, and as believers, we know the pilgrims came for freedom of worship for other reasons, and that first Thanksgiving was to give thanks to God. We see revisionist history in the movies. In fact, here's... Here's the worst case, I think, of revisionist history. The movie, and I, I didn't watch it. Okay, I just want to say that because I'm not an unspiritual man. But <laughs> sometimes. Uh, it was titled, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> really? See, there's fast and loose with history, isn't there? There really is. And I think... 
when we look back to the creation account, what we are seeing, and really you go back to Darwin and, and other times, there is historical revision. Now I'm convinced the biblical view of creation needs to be valued and protected. It should influence our view of God, humanity, good and evil, and hope for the future. It's all rolled up into creation. And so today I want to show you three creational truths from Genesis 1 and how they've been an encouragement to me personally in my day-to-day life. So let's begin with the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, now when we're talking about in the beginning, Moses, who's the writer of Genesis, the first five books of the Old Testament, he's saying the beginning of time and space, the beginning of the universe. There really is no beginning in relationship with God because he is eternal. There is no beginning with God. But he's saying in our beginning, the beginning of the universe, God created, that is ex nihilo, which is created out of nothing. God didn't take some material over here and shift it over there. He creates it out of nothing. He creates the heavens and the earth. That's a summary of Genesis 1 and 2. Creation of the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was without form. That's without form. It's, It's not finished in shape. At this point, it's just the globe. It's void, uninhabited, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the Holy Spirit's role in creation here, if we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, there's the same word hovering as as an eagle hovering over the nest, bringing forth life, the baby eagles. So he's hovering, he's he's helping to bring forth life. Now when we think about the beginning of creation, this is is a, a true that we can hold on to, that the earth was created first. We have the earth, now it's... It has no shape, it has no inhabitants, it's just a globe, but we see it's early on in creation. And then we see the development of that. So the earth is created first. Now, you may have heard in the Big Bang Theory that the earth came far later. Basically, and I'm no scientist, but you have these gases. They explode. Stars are created. They have, uh, this is one major theory. There's a number in the Big Bang. But that these stars kind of uh, exploded themselves. They clumped together with other stars. They cooled down, and those made planets. And later on, you have earth. According to scripture, the earth is created first. And here's what encouragement I get from this for today. God seems to be focused on earth, not just because, and it's in preeminence. A lot of times we see first is preeminence. It's not the earth itself, but it's the inhabitants of the earth, those that have dominion over the earth. God's preeminence is people. It's people. Scripture indicates that the preeminence of earth is actually the preeminence of human beings. We are created in God's image. Did you know that? This indicates the 
the location of our lives, the creation of the earth first, indicates to me and encourages me that God's favor is upon us. Don't you know that it's nice to be wanted, isn't it? Isn't it nice to be wanted? You know, I remember back in college, I met Joyce, my wife now, and uh, we ate lunch together sometimes. Sometimes we had a group of friends we were in. We had some classes together. And, and there comes that time, ladies, for us men, where we take that risk, you know, and where we got to find out, what does she think of me? And so, you know, I, I said something like, I like you. Do you like me? You know? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know the Dr. Seuss book, Do You Like My Hat? Do you like me? And uh, she says, I do like you. And I was like, she likes me. She wants to date me. I was like, oh, I am wanted. Listen, do you know in the earth created first that you are wanted by God? And if you know Jesus Christ, you have been adopted. He really wants you. He brought you into his family. Now today, there's such an overemphasis on nature. Nature is beautiful. Creation is beautiful. But there's such an emphasis on, on protecting nature that human beings get shuffled out of the way. There, there's a loss of, of interest in human beings. I was just reading this morning uh, where, you know, the people that are starting to throw garbage and soup, like on the Mona Lisa, did you read about that in France? They, fortunately, it was covered in glass. It didn't hurt it. But I thought, why are they throwing soup on famous paintings? It's because they are anti-civilization. They think nature needs to take priority over people. And so there's, a, there's this major shift. But people are God's purpose in creation. I was reading about this Christian college professor. Uh, he, he actually wrote an article about creation and how people are God's special creation. And he wrote about this student who was married off campus who had a long commute each day to school. It was a 40-minute bus drive, just you know, one-way bus ride back home. And this student, uh, one morning when he's about to ride the bus, he told his wife, he said, do you know what I'm going to do today? He told her, he said, I'm just going to go out and immerse myself in God's creation. She said, she said, that's a great idea. You've been working so hard in your classes. Take the day off. Get out in God's creation. And so he went off in the bus. She thought he was going off to the woods or wherever. Next morning he gets up. He says, today I'm going to immerse myself in God's creation today. She said, okay. He, he leaves. Third day, I'm going to immerse myself in God's creation today again. She says, now enough is enough. It's okay to take a break, get out in creation, but you need to get back to your classes. And he said, no, I've been going to class every day. I've been immersing myself in God's creation on the bus to school. I'm getting to know my bus mates, and I've been sharing the gospel. I'm just immersed with God's creation. You see, we forget that we are God's preeminence in creation, and, and we need to focus on people. On people. Just as the earth was created first, that college professor then wrote this in the article. We need to embrace the people around us with the same delight as we do the hawk soaring above us, and the violets blooming at our feet, men and women, 
children and the elderly, the beautiful and the plain, the blind and the deaf, amputees and paralytics, the mentally impaired and the emotionally distraught, each are a significant and sacred detail of God's creation. People, earth created first, for our habitation. People. He's focused on you and I. We are wanted. We're wanted. Let's continue with verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now this light, interesting, if you were going to continue on with the count, it was created four days before the sun. You ever read that and understood that, interpreted that? It's four days later, and I believe in 24-hour days. You know, it says morning and evening. It's pretty crystal clear to me. So it's four days later that you have light and then the sun. And I think there's a reason for that, why God has this revealed through Moses. Let's continue. Drop down to verse 14. We're moving now to the fifth day, and God said, There will be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, primarily the moon, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Fascinating that the sun was created after light. Now, no one knows what that light is. There's been all kinds of theories, a temporary light. We we do see it comes from a source because you have the night and the day. Some say it it kind of came together later as the sun. Some say it's God's Shekinah glory. Whatever it is, there was light before the sun. Now, why did God reveal that to us? And why do we think, some theories here, I'm just going to, how I wonder about these things. Why did God create light four days before the sun? Could it be primarily in ancient cultures there was the worship of the sun god? Could it be that God is saying to the people of Israel, hey, there was light even before the sun. The sun is but my creation. It is not a creator. It is not God. And you see this in ancient people. You have uh, the Romans, the ancient Japanese, the Aztecs who did uh, human sacrifice to the sun god. And the main people group that worshiped the sun were the Egyptians. Now, where did the people of Israel come from? They came from Egypt And Moses now is communicating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, hey, that sun came later. Did you know the sun came after plants? Plants live for 24 hours without the sun. It's like, hey, I'll put the sun in there later. We don't rely on the sun. We we rely on our creator, Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, there's no more sun worship at all today, right? Isn't that wonderful? Is that right? Do you understand and know that we are returning to paganism? 
As you see the rise of Christianity in, in, in the East and then sweeping over to Europe, the Druids and all that, they fall away because of the rise of Christianity. So you had the sunrise of Christianity. We are living in a time of, in many ways, the setting of the sun on Christianity, and we are returning to paganism. Here's an article, for instance, on the spirituality website. It's entitled, How to Honor the Sun Today. Just some excerpts. So how can you celebrate the sun as part of your own spirituality? It's not too hard. After all, the sun is out there almost all the time. Try a few of these ideas and incorporate the sun into your rituals and celebrations. Use a bright yellow or orange candle to represent the sun on your altar and hang solar symbols around your house. Place sun catchers in your windows to bring the light indoors. Finally, consider starting each day by offering a prayer to the rising sun and end your days with another one as it sets. Somewhere I read there's nothing new under the sun, right? Ecclesiastes. We still have it today. Now, I'm encouraged by this, that God anticipates our errors and his word corrects them. I, I'm, I'm not saying this is the way it is, understand. I'm wondering if this revelation that there was light first, four days later, you have the sun, because God knew that people, because, you know, the sun is an imposing figure in the sky, that people would worship the sun, would sacrifice their children to the sun. You see it in, not only with the Aztecs, but in the Middle East in ancient days. And that God says, no, I'm going to show that the sun is just down the line. That there was light even without it. He anticipates human errors and reveals to us through the scripture what is truth. Every human problem is known and solved by God. Maybe not at this moment, but will be. Think about greed. The scripture has, has direction, has solutions, violence. Abortion, gender confusion, poverty, and especially our sin natures. See, there's a, even a bigger problem than the practice of sin, isn't there? We've got a bigger issue, right? So we've got a sin nature. It's more than what we do, it's who we are, right? There's a big issue. And, and God anticipates beforehand our issues, our problems, and he gives solutions. Did you know the scripture tells us that the Lamb of God, that's Jesus Christ, was slain when? 2,000 years on Calvary, yes. But in the reality of God, the Lamb of God was slain before what? Anybody know? The foundation of the world, right? God knows. Do you think when Adam and Eve sinned, there's nothing magical about the fruit, it was, it was this this free will trial they were going through, or a decision. And when, when, they, when they sinned and disobeyed God, do you think God was like, uh, well, we just finished Christmas. What's that Christmas movie where the little kid always slaps his face? Uh, Home Alone. Do you think God was, oh, I didn't anticipate this happening. No, he says, I got it all figured out. Jesus, in my reality, because he's above time and space, the, the future is the same as the past. It's all clear to him. Jesus was already crucified. It was already taken care of. He's got the solutions to everything. There's a song. I'll sing a little bit to you, but if you'll promise me not to run out because you'll hurt my feelings. 
He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. I like the part where I like to say, he's got the little bitty babies. In, I love the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got it all in his hands. Are you anxious about anything today? The word of God gives direction. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to free you from that issue, but he's going to give you grace to conquer because we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Drop down to verse 31. This is the sixth day. It's the final day of creation. On the seventh day, God rests. Not that he was tired, but he just took a little break. And God saw everything that he made. Now he's kind of summarizing. Behold, it was very good. So he's saying before, it was individual goodness. You'll, you'll read every day and, he, and it was good. But now he sees everything. So it's individual goodness before. Now it's corporate goodness. The universe as it was. All of it. Everything. The plants, the insects, the ocean waters, the fish, the birds, the people. It is all Good corporately, behold, it was very good. And in the Hebrew, very good is defined as pleasant and in order. I think that's really key. Pleasant and in order. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You see, God created a very pleasant and orderly universe. It was very good. It was not million years of unpleasant pleasantness, and disorder. Because that's, that's the secular view today, right? That, that you had years, millions of years of volcanic activity and death, disease, bones being buried that later became fossils, and just a violent, terrible, disordered place. That, that's the flip of what is true. It didn't move from unpleasantness pleasantness and disorder to pleasantness and now order. It started pleasant and in order. So it's not this long drawn out and finally we get some order with some human beings. In fact, Jesus, did you know that he rejected that slow process to human beings? People say Jesus never talked about evolution or everything. He wasn't concerned about that, but you read carefully. Here it is, Mark 10. He says, from the beginning of creation, Jesus says this, from the beginning, God made them male and female. The people. So it wasn't this tumultuous disorder that we see today. It was pleasant and in order from the beginning. Let me give you four truths then, thinking about the creation story, and then two sub-truths under number four. Number one, God created the universe very good, in other words, pleasant and orderly. Included in this good universe was the ability for humans to choose. Free will's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's also a very, very dangerous thing. But it's a beautiful thing. Number three, the first two humans chose, he gave the ability to choose, he, they chose to disobey God. Fourth, this disobedience led to two tragic results. Number one, 
the universe became very unpleasant and less ordered. We call it the fall. The universe as we know it, because of sin, there was such an impact, became unpleasant and disordered in many ways. Also, under two tragic results, the process of dying and death was introduced into the universe. It's interesting in Romans chapter 5, it gives us a clear indication of when death began. Paul writes, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that one man? Read the context, it's Adam. So when he sins, sin comes in the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Death follows Adam and Eve's disobedience. In other words, nothing died before Adam's sin. When Adam and Eve walked around, they were not walking on ground under the ground, just, you know, billions of years of old fossils. There was no fossils whatsoever because there was no death before sin. That would be frightening to me if before sin, then that would be God's direct creation, he created death. That, that's a frightening God to me. I'm thankful he created pleasant and in order. Unfortunately, fortunately, it's not God that directly caused it. We did, our ancestors, and we follow in their footsteps, causing sin, that death was brought into the world. So if we believe in this slow, chaotic mess, then we would have to view that Adam and Eve, you know, they're stepping over bones and, uh, and all of this, and it's saying, no, death entered later. Now someone would say, well, then what did they eat? Didn't they kill animals to eat? No, it's pretty clear they were vegetarians. Any vegetarians? Amen, sister, brother, whoever you are. That's more meat for me. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, they ate plants. And nowhere does Scripture say a plant. We'd say, well, that plant's alive, but it, it, not in the sense of a soul. So you can see everything is consistent in God's Word. So here's my encouragement about this very good universe. It's this. God calls himself the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians 1. It's comforting to me to know that he's not the direct cause of suffering and death. Can you imagine if he created an unpleasant and disorderly universe? That's not a God of comfort. To me, that kind of God that would, would enjoy creating a mess that we're in, that sounds like a Greek mythological God, doesn't it? That makes me nervous. In fact, that makes me frightened if that was God. And I'm thankful that he created it pleasant and good. It gives me confidence. You know, I was reading, it was a kind of a humorous submission by this mother in a Christian magazine. And uh, she said that um, she was trying to teach her little boy uh, that God created everything. So they'd be in the car and say, who created that? She'd say, who created that tree? Who, who made that tree? And the little guy would say, well, I don't know. And she said, God did. So he got used to it. Who, who, who made that ocean there? God did. Who, who made that mountain? God did. All right, we're getting it. One day she walks into his bedroom, and it's just totally like a bomb went off, and there are toys everywhere. Bed's not made. She said, who made this mess? And the little guy, God did. <laughs> Aren't you glad that's not our God? He does not make messes. You say, well, well, why did he allow free will? Listen, think this through. Free will 
must, to, to love one another, there must be some kind of free will. Yeah, there's got to be choice. There's got to be a choice. To love God, there's got to be a choice. Did he know, oh, there's going to be such great cost, there's going to be so much pain and suffering, but I've got a plan to redeem people. He, he worked through it. So I am so relieved that God created a beautiful and ordered universe for a couple of reasons. Number one, it gives me, it helps me not to be bitter at God when I suffer. That he's, he's the God of comfort, not, not the God that loves to inflict pain. And one thing beautiful about knowing that God wants pleasantness and order is that for you and I, when we suffer, he takes no delight in the pain we're going through. He uses it to train us and to develop us more into the image of Christ, but he is not going to allow your suffering to go even one second more than the purpose allows. It's not like, okay, the purpose is up for this suffering, but you know what? I'm going to go five more minutes because I just want Chris to suffer a little more. No. He's a God of pleasantness and order. Also, it gives me confidence that the new creation, the new heaven and earth, there's a day coming when it will be pleasant and ordered again. That's our hope. And never to be in a mess again. When I sat back there on Christmas Eve, Tim, I think it was right here on this table, those of you who were here will remember, he set out these objects. And, it, and, and what he did was he took the whole scope of history and on the end there, he had the new heaven and the new earth. That's what we're looking for. It's, it's beautiful. Read it in, in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no crying, no pain. It, it's just going to be... You, you know, I used to think, you know, it's kind of like going back to Eden. But I think I sold it too short. It's going back to a far, far more beautiful Eden than the first. It, it's going to be like nothing that's ever happened in history. And so, and Tim, if you remember, Tim, after he laid it all out over here, creation, fall, redemption, all the way through, he came back and he kept pointing at the cross, that part there, and he says, hey, all of this, what we're looking forward to is because of this. It's, it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So are you suffering today? Anybody whose outward man is wasting away? Man, I, 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 went down, I just got back from Arizona. I go out in the winter, I go out jeeping. My brother lives there. And we go out in the desert, we explore mines. That jeep, I, I'm telling you, it feels like the suspension is being raised every year. I, I'm like trying to get in there, you know. I'm, I'm getting old. Maybe you've got suffering with your children. Some didn't quite go the way we wanted. And every morning we get up, it, 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 it hurts. We have a daughter who went through a divorce. It's, it, it's just so sad to see her trying to raise two kids, hardly without a husband. We look all around us. We look at our own lives. And, and we're hurting. It could be anything. But here's the deal. The new creation is coming for you. It's coming. I, I read recently, what was it? Um, everyone thinks the world is falling apart, but with God, it's all coming together. Your future, my future, couldn't be brighter. I was talking to someone recently. They were Christians. I'm just so, I'm just, I'm so 
scared about the future. What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to our world? Oh, there's wars, all this. And I said, listen, can I just take a deep breath? I said, your future sister in Christ could not be brighter. (laughs) Couldn't be better. It's all because of the gospel. Father God, thank you for your creation. It really answers so many questions. What is the origin of good and evil? Where have we come and why? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is the future? Your scripture, beginning with creation, it lays it all out for us. And Father God, today in Christ, those of us who are in Christ couldn't be brighter. Lord, I also know with sadness for those that may be in this room who do not know Jesus Christ, the future is very, very grim. There's nothing to look forward to. So Lord, today, if there's even just one person in this room that has not come to personal full confidence, and as we read, I surrender, a surrender to Jesus Christ, surrender to his grace, Lord, that today they could just simply in their heart, because we know you know all things, Lord. You know the past, you know the future, and you know our hearts. We don't even need to speak. If we just cry out in our heart, these, something like this, just cry out, Jesus, I've done wrong. I need a Savior for the penalty of my sins and the power that's gripped me. Lord, Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Lord, I believe today that you have risen from the dead, proving you are who you said you were, God. I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you now that I have been adopted in your family forevermore, and I don't need to be afraid of my heart does not need to be troubled anymore. My sins are forgiven. And Lord, now help me to grow, to be involved in this fellowship, to to grow in my knowledge and faith of you. Make that my life's quest now. Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord, as we enjoy today some enjoying fellowship around the football game, all that's going to happen today, Lord, Help us to just go through this day and the days ahead knowing that from the beginning we have been wanted. And in the ending that is an everlasting ending, as we walk with you through all eternity, we are wanted. Not because of anything we have done, but because of your good grace. In Jesus' name, amen.